Hi, I'm Rick Schwartz. Buenos dias, world. I'm Marco Wentz. Welcome to Amazing Wildlife, where we explore unique stories of wildlife from around the world and uncover fascinating animal facts. This podcast is a production of iHeartRadio and San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, an international nonprofit conservation organization which oversees the San Diego Zoo and Safari Park. You know, Rick, I've had so many guests and team members who are really digging our podcast. And I got a little more feedback about our last episode. Oh, cool. What's the feedback? Well, at first, they didn't really like the idea of a snake episode. Oh. I know, I know. But after listening to it, they definitely had a newfound appreciation for the Bushmaster. Oh, good, good. I was, I was worried you were going to say somebody had a hissy fit about it, and now our episodes would be constricted. I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> oh, fair enough, Marco. I realize not everyone finds my animal puns as hysterical as I do. Please stop. <laughs> okay, all right, Marco. Fair enough. <laughs> Let's get back to business. What conservation hubs are we focused on today? African forest, oceans, Australian forest? Well, earlier this year, the San Diego Zoo's female Andean bear, Alba, gave birth to twin Andean bear cubs. So I was thinking we could stick to the Amazonia hub for one more episode. Right on, Marco. I think we can bear with it for one more episode. You just can't help yourself, can you? <laughs> nope. It's just how my head works, but I'll try to keep a lid on the puns. Fair enough. Thanks. And yes, I would love to talk about Indian bears and these cubs. What did you have in mind? Well, I mean, the fact that Alba, the mother Andean bear, had twins is pretty awesome. Felicidad is mama bear. She has been a mom before, but this is her first set of twins. It is really exciting, and from what I understand, the last time we had twin Andean bears born at the San Diego Zoo was back in 1993. So not only are these two very important additions to the overall population of Andean bears and the future of the species, as twins, they're pretty unique. Oh, totally. And when we have births like this at the San Diego Zoo or the Safari Park, it's really easy to get completely absorbed in the cuteness factor of the babies. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I know, right? Especially these adorable cubs. But like you mentioned, there is a bigger and more important goal here, and that's securing a safe population for the future of the species. Exactly, and I want to make sure our audience knows they can learn all about our Andean bear conservation work by listening to our Andean bear episode from last season. It's episode 24, season one. Now, in that episode, we have a great conversation with Dr. Russ Van Horn. He shares with us how the Andean bears are doing in the wild and the work San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance is currently doing with conservation partners. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm really glad you mentioned that, Rick, because today I wanted to share with our audience what it's like to care for these extraordinary bears and what changes in their care when a cub, or in this case, two cubs, join the familia. Ooh, I like where you're going with this, Marco. I thought you might, Rick. And to help us learn about this, I thought we should go directly to someone with hands-on experience. Well, I can barely wait. Ay, ay, ay. Sorry. <laughs> I am Lindsay Schaefer, and I am a senior wildlife care specialist. I primarily work with our bear species. So when I'm on the bear routine, I have the Andean bears, the grizzly bears, and the sloth bears. But I'm also trained on some of the other routines. So I also work the cats, the tigers, the leopards, and the hippos, just to name a few. Wow, Lindsay, that's a lot of really cool species you work with. Can you give us a little insight to what it's like to work with the Andean bears? Our Andean bears, they're probably one of the smartest species of animals I've ever worked, especially our female, Miss Alba. You really watch the wheels turn with her. She really likes to problem solve, work through all of the enrichment experiences that we do with her. So every day it's that challenge to come up with something new and something fun to really get 
those wheels turning for her. So that's probably why she's the most challenging. I'm so excited you brought up enrichment experiences, Lindsay. I know what that means, and I know Marco does, but for our audience, I want to give them a little context. An enrichment experience is a series of things the animal gets to experience that can engage one, two, or even all of the senses, and also gives them the opportunity to use their mind, natural adaptations, and body to engage within the experience itself. For example... Oh, oh, one second, Rick. Before you give that example... Okay. Lindsay, with Rick giving the audience that context... Can you share with us what kind of experiences you provide for the Andean bears? We do a wide variety of different experiences for our bears. Since the Andean bears in particular, they're big nesters and they're big fruit eaters. A lot of our experiences that we design around that are with different substrates or different nesting material. A lot of them are also up high in the climbing structures to really utilize those arboreal skills that those bears have. And also with the fruit eating, we do a lot of fruiting experiences, which is kind of different cues that lead up to a big smorgasbord of fruit that will appear in the habitat that the bears can go and find. Sounds like you put in a lot of work on your side of it, friend. It sure does sound like a lot of time and effort, Lindsay. You said something about creating cues that lead up to a big event or outcome. In the example you gave a smorgasbord of fruit, which sounds delicious, uh, can you tell us more about that and why that's part of their experience? So the experiences, honestly, I think they're as much enriching for us as they are for the bears. (laughs) We're constantly trying to come up with these cues that lead to the end result, for instance, the fruit. In the wild, of course, there are different environmental cues that let an animal know, we'll use the Andean bear, for example, that, hey, maybe a certain fruit is about to be ripe and it's that fruit season. Here, we try to replicate those cues as much as we can. So we'll start by blowing wind through the habitat. So we'll turn on the fans and then we'll have a certain scent that we then will kind of place by the fans that will then blow in. That's just that new scent of, ooh, something smells a little different, kind of replicating that, ooh, the bear in the wild might be smelling that ripe fruit. That fruit might be coming soon. So we try to replicate that here. And then once we do the scent for a couple days, then the massive fruiting event will happen. It sounds like this gives the bears the opportunity to experience anticipation, patience, and the curiosity of where is that smell coming from? Yeah. Correct. And problem solving. It's all about trying to solve where can I find my next resource and take advantage of what's available. So it's really fun here to try to replicate that as much as we can. In all fairness, some people might look at this and think that the bears wouldn't like these challenges. Why is creating these experiences an important part of caring for these intelligent bears? Yeah, so they naturally, they want to solve problems. I mean, just working with these bears, they've really shown me that they love to be able to let their minds go and be able to find their own food. I mean, if we every single day had the same food presented the same way, the same time of day, I don't know about you, but I would be bored out of my mind by it. So it's really fun to be able to explore that challenge that the bears really like to have and really take advantage of that and let them them be bears. Who knew having to outsmart a bear would be part of a wildlife care specialist day? I know from my time as a wildlife care specialist with birds, there is a lot more to your day than what most people would think. Lindsay, can you give us a snapshot of what your average day is like taking care of the Andean bears? Depending on the time of year, we might vary it a little bit, but every day, you know, we come in, we are first getting an evaluation of how the bears were overnight, 
how their appetites are, how their behavior is, that sort of thing. And then we kind of roll with those punches and kind of dictate our day based on what the bears are telling us they need. But in general, you know, it's a lot of cleaning, (laughs) a lot of cleaning. And then depending on what behaviors we're working on, there's some training involved. There's the brainstorming of the different enrichment activities that we're doing for the day multiple feedings, either habitat resets or tosses from the roof, or to kind of take the wildlife care specialist out of it, we even do automatic feeders, that sort of thing. So every day we're just trying to do something a little bit different and kind of cater towards what the bears are telling us they need. Again, I got to say, that sounds like a lot of work. I know you said there are automatic feeders that can help keep the bears guessing about how and when the food will show up. But you also said something about resetting a habitat. What does that mean? Yeah, so when, if we reset a habitat, for instance, I will call the bear inside, I will shut the door so that way I'm safe to go out on habitat, and I will skewer fruit different places on habitat. I will hide food, I will do smears of avocado, just different things like that to really get them foraging around versus if I just do like a toss from the roof or a toss from the front, it's kind of just like a, a scatter foraging opportunity. Man, all this talk of avocados and fruit kind of making me hungry. (laughs) I was thinking the same thing, Marco. (laughs) Lindsay, you've mentioned fruit for the Andean bears quite a bit. Do they eat any meat at all? Only about 5 to 7% of their diet is meat. So a lot of their diet is fruits. A wild bear eats a lot of plant materials, whether that be bromeliads or cactus or even bamboos, some bamboos. Here, we feed them a little bit of meat. They get a ground chuck, but of course it's all parts of the cow. They also get a few little bone days and some fish. Our female especially really likes her fish. But in general, they do get a lot more plant-type materials versus like a grizzly bear that most of their diet, depending on the time of year, is more meat-focused. It really is pretty interesting that both the grizzly and Andean bears are omnivores, but they're kind of different omnivores in that Andean bears eat a lot more fruit and grizzly bears are... A little more meat-focused? Yeah, yeah, totally. And it kind of sounds like their habitat helps play a role in what they eat because of what's available. Yeah, good point, Marco. And because of that, it sounds like the bears keep you pretty busy, Lindsay, which then, of course, does make me wonder, when you first started working as a wildlife care specialist, did you imagine part of your job would actually be trying to outsmart an Indian bear? I did not, and I don't think I'll ever be able to outsmart a bear. (laughs) I tell you what, Miss Alba, she really is one of the smartest bears I've ever met. She actually, when she first came to us, she would tear apart her climbing structures. She figured out how to take apart nuts and bolts. We actually had to redo everything and put, like, elephant industrial bolts and stuff to build her new climbing structures. So she has always kept us on our toes, and I, I think we'll always continue to. I love that. And I love the fact that there's this understanding that Alba will always be curious about what she can get into. And as a wildlife care specialist, you not only accept the challenge, but you embrace it. Yeah, it really is just part of the adventure of working with wildlife. And Lindsay, since you mentioned Alba, I want to hear about her skills as a mom, too. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Before we hear about Alba being a mom, if it's okay, just hold on a second. Can we step back into the past just a little bit and have you share with our audience what it's like leading up to the birth of the cubs? We set up the breeding season, basically. Alba, our female, lives next door to Turbo, our male. And Alba especially is amazing at communicating when she's ready to be with our male. These bears are solitary. They usually only come together to breed, or if it's a mom with cubs, 
So otherwise these guys live separate lives. But Alba, when breeding season comes about, which for her typically is May, June-ish, is when she'll be an estrus and ready to breed, she will start giving us those signs that she wants to be with Turbo. She will start vocalizing to him. She makes almost like a cooing noise, which is a very friendly, almost like a flirty vocalization that she does. She'll start nest building next to him. So she'll make, the way our habitats are, there's a door in between them that has panels out of it that the bears can see each other and smell each other. So she'll start building nests right next to that. She'll start vocalizing to him. And those are some of the ways that we're like, all right, it's time. They want to be together now. When Alba is giving you all those cues that she's interested in being together with Turbo, what steps do you take as a wildlife care specialist to make that safely happen? Yeah, so as care specialists, we always take it slow. These bears have been together before, but you never know. Every year's different. So every year we go through the same steps of the visual introductions first, the one door away introductions, which still means there's a barrier in between, but they can get very close to each other, basically making sure they're giving us all the cues that they're ready to be together. And then when that day finally comes that there is no longer a door between them, there's always multiple staff members around, multiple deterrents so that if we have to get involved, we can. Thankfully, these two have always been an amazing pair and do incredibly well when introduced. Lindsay, you had said earlier that these are a solitary bear by nature. So I know after a little time together, Alba and Turbo will naturally go their separate ways. But once they do, how can we tell if Alba's pregnant or not? Ever since their first breeding cycle, we have trained Alba for ultrasound, which basically means she comes. There's always a barrier between us and the bear, so we're still protected contact with her. But she has been taught to come right up to us, sit on a shelf or a little seat, and there's a little window that an ultrasound probe could fit through. And she sits and she stays with her avocado and peanut butter that we've smeared on a target, basically. And the vets then can perform ultrasound. And that girl would probably sit there all day if <laughs> peanut butter and avocado was involved. She could care less who does that ultrasound. She's just happy to get the peanut butter and the avocado. Avocado and peanut butter? Wow, I can see why Alva doesn't mind sitting during that ultrasound. A bear after my own heart voluntarily participating in an ultrasound while getting to snack on some delicious yummies? Right? I mean, how much better would a visit to the doctor be if there was a snack bar with your favorite foods available? Hmm, I think we're on to something here, buddy. I'm going to have to suggest that on my next doctor's visit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I look forward to hearing how that goes with your doctor. <laughs> but okay, okay. So, Lindsay, we got a little off topic here. But going back to the ultrasounds, I can only imagine the anticipation everyone must feel hoping to see a fetus or a heartbeat or something on the ultrasound screen. What is that like? It's honestly so exciting. I mean, we as wildlife care specialists, we put a lot into our job and to be able to see all that hard work and all that behavioral reading that we're constantly doing with these bears, when we see that fetus for the first time, it's almost like it pays off for us. Like, oh, look, all of our hard work is shown right here. It's so much fun. And then this year, you know, the first go around, she only had one, which is completely normal. Right. And then this time around, we saw one fetus and then the next ultrasound showed the two. So it was really exciting. It was almost like double the excitement. Was there any disbelief? Twins runs in her family. Oh, okay. So her grandma has a history of twins. Her mom, like her second or third pregnancy, if I remember correctly, was also twins. So twins kind of runs in her family. And in Andean bear, it's very common to have either one or two. And they will even implant at different times those two different fetuses. And both my coworker and I kind of had a gut feeling that we would have two this time. Don't ask why, but we kind of had a feeling. But it was just as exciting to see that second fetus. 
Yeah, it's fair to note the wildlife care specialist intuition, I think. I, mean, I think so. Yeah, you, you work around these animals so much, they become your extended family. It's they like, really are. It's like knowing somebody in your family has something going on without them saying a word. Yeah, it's so true. Nothing beats the intuition of a wildlife care specialist when it comes to the wildlife that they take care of. Now, I'm curious, Lindsay, having that gut feeling about twins, then having it confirmed with the ultrasound, is there extra excitement or do you keep your expectations in check because you never know what's going to happen? And is there anything different you have to do knowing there are twins coming? When it comes to working with animals, something could always go wrong. You always can prepare. You have that excitement. But in the back of your head, you know, we've been around the block. We know that things could go wrong. You know, she could potentially lose it just like in any animal or person pregnancy. But to say we do anything different with our day, really no. If she's showing she's extra hungry, we'll do a diet change to give her some more food. If she's showing she's extra nesty and wants to start making her big nest in her den, we'll give her more bedding. So we just always take our cues from what Alba needs. But other than that, we pretty much just kind of maintain status quo with her care. I love that so much. Let Mama Bear show us what she needs. After all, this is a big part of taking care of wildlife, observing them and interpreting their species-specific behavior and then responding to those behavioral cues. That's so true, Marco. And part of understanding what you're observing comes from being able to look back at past behavior too. And Lindsay, is it correct to assume that we could also anticipate sort of when the cubs were going to arrive? Because we could compare the ultrasound measurements of the babies with the data from past pregnancies. That's what's so exciting about those ultrasounds. We have advanced enough equipment that we were able to get measurements on both fetuses. And we had done that for her first pregnancy. So we kind of could roughly predict, okay, the fetuses are getting to X size. So we knew when we were getting kind of around that mark that we would start really preparing for potential birth. We knew there were two, so they were probably going to be a little bit smaller. So there was still kind of a guessing game. But Alba, we learned from the first go around, and she did the same thing this time. When she starts nesting the whole day, like nonstop dragging bedding in her den, really making her bed, that's our indication that she's impending. And sure enough, the first time she did that, I think she had Agapito within a couple days. This time it was literally within a day. She just nested all day and then overnight had two very healthy babies. Well, that sounds so exciting to come into work and see that she has two healthy cubs. However, I can't help but also think that as a wildlife care specialist, you now have two more, albeit small, but still two more animals to look after. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I know with some of the bird species I worked with in the past, usually the parents do all the work of caring for and looking after the young. Is that the same for the Andean bears, Lindsay? Or did you have extra work to do now? Alba is one of the best moms we've ever seen. Our job is easy, to be honest with you. She's doing all the hard work. Really all we do those first couple weeks, we have a video monitor set up that we can make sure we see nursing and good movement from the cubs. And we have a little baby monitor in our office that we can also hear vocalizations just to make sure we're hearing nursing and that sort of thing. And then we will offer her food in one of the bedrooms that's next door to her den. And then really other than that, Alba's just being one of the best moms we've ever seen and taking care of those cubs. And that's pretty much all we do. <laughs> nice. She makes our job easy well, when she's got her. cubs in those dens. She really does. You mentioned she's taking care of those cubs in the den for the first few weeks. At what point does Alba bring them out of the den? 
Or is that something the Cubs initiate? She typically has initiated that. Usually when they're oh, maybe about a month, month and a half, she has historically carried them out to kind of check her space a little bit. We leave her with habitat access 24-7. We let her make her good choices about where she wants the Cubs to be, where she wants to be. So historically, and this go around, she took the Cubs out and kind of inspected everything, carrying both of them in her arm at about a month, month and a half. And then they didn't really start initiating going out until they were about three, three and a half months old. And now at four months, it's just mass chaos. <laughs> we'll get to that mass chaos in a second. But <laughs> you mentioned, I think when people think about a large carnivore carrying its baby, they visualize what they see the lions do in the savannah, which that scruff carry. But you mentioned she's carrying both her babies yes. in her arm. Is it like a, a football It's like or? It's exactly like a football carry. And she would hold them almost like rear end to face and then rear end to face, like kind of opposite ways. And then she'd kind of cradle them just like a football and kind of three-legged hop out and just kind of take a look around, make sure everything looked okay, and then take them right back in. Oh, she is such a good mom. How cool is it that she figured out a way to carry both of the cubs like that? Wicked smart. She really is amazing, and it sounds like she's making it pretty easy for the wildlife care staff for the first few months at least. Uh, but Lindsay, you mentioned, and I quote, mass chaos around the four-month mark. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I wanted to ask more about that too, Lindsay. With the enrichment experiences that Turbo and Alba get, do the cubs interact with those too? And if so, what's that like? It's so fun watching them experience those little things for the first time. Like the first time they'll see a palm wrap or the first time they'll wrestle with a little log. It's just so fun being able to introduce all those little things to them and even watch Alba introduce things. So as the cubs have gotten older, she'll start introducing different food items to them. For instance, if she gets one of her half femur bones, one thing she's historically done has always smashed it open to get the marrow out. Now you kind of watch her show them what she's doing so that eventually they'll pick up that behavior and learn that on their own. So it's a lot of fun being able to kind of provide her with those things so that she's teaching the cubs basically how to be a bear and it's not coming from us. As we're recording this, the cubs are about four months old and will be about five months old when this episode comes out. What behavior can guests visiting the San Diego Zoo expect to see from the cubs as they grow and develop? And what are you hoping to see as well? So right now, you know, we're continuing to watch their mobility get better. They're still a little wobbly on their feet. So as the months progress, you'll see them get stronger. So we'll continue to provide them with different climbing opportunities and play opportunities that really help strengthen those muscles. We'll also see them, you know, start to get away from nursing as much and getting more on solid food. Right now, it's mostly still nursing, but they are sampling food. The little female cub, she seems to be really taking a liking. We call it baby food, which is where we chop up Alba's diet into little baby pieces, basically. She's really liking that, whereas the little male cub has really been into the meat product, which is interesting to see. So we'll see that progress, their taking of different food items and that sort of thing. This is a really fun time because we usually experiment with all sorts of different foods with cubs, hoping that maybe as adults, they will take to those food items. Veggies are historically a very hard thing to get bears to eat. So we always offer veggies to cubs in the hopes that maybe as adult bears, they will actually eat their veggies. 
not unlike most parents with kids. Correct. It's really the same thing across species, bear or human. <laughs> That's hilarious. I love that. Gotta eat your veggies, kids. <laughs> hey, Lindsay, I want to switch gears there a little bit. One thing Rick and I have noticed over these last few interviews is that everyone is so passionate about the species they work with. Have bears always been a species of wildlife that you were interested in? Truthfully, I kind of accidentally started working with bears. I always truthfully wanted to work with marine mammals. I had my heart set that that's what I wanted to work with was marine mammals. And then way back in college, I got an internship with big and small cats and kind of fell into that. And that was the route I always thought I'd take. And then when I joined this team, it was a nice mixture of bears and cats, but I kind of got towards the bear side and have stayed ever since. And it's been a challenge and, and a joy ever since. It's funny how that works out sometimes. Our path will lead us to something wonderful and unexpected. And I know for me and probably for you too, Marco, working with wildlife is a work of passion. Our hearts are so strongly tied to our work. So Lindsay, I'd like to ask you, why do you do this? You know, I do this job watching Alba be a mom is what makes it all worth it, makes the dirt, makes the, basically we always say the blood, sweat, and tears that we put into this job, the rewarding things like Alba teaching her cubs how to be bears. That's what makes it all worth it. And watching those cubs grow into the adults that we know they're going to grow in, we, we look forward to. Muchísimas gracias for sharing that, Lindsay. It was amazing. It really is a treat for our listeners to be able to hear from one of our very own wildlife care specialists and to learn about the work and the wildlife in their care. Yes, thank you, Lindsay. We really do appreciate your time. And speaking of time, I want to let our audience know that this episode came out in May of 2023. And if you come to the San Diego Zoo, you should be able to see Alba and her twin cubs throughout the year of 2023. But keep in mind, they grow up quickly. So if you're here in the later part of the year, well, they might look a little more like teenagers than they would cubs. Yeah, no doubt. And it's worth mentioning if you are listening to this near the end of 2023 or the beginning of 2024, it is possible that Alba has decided the kids are too big and she would rather be solitary again. <laughs> she kicked him out. <laughs> right? I can't blame her. And in that case, Alva and the Cubs, who would be very close to adult size at that point, will be taking turns in the outdoor habitat. Oh, and speaking of San Diego Zoo, Marco, that reminds me, we have nighttime zoo coming up really soon. Oh, yeah, that's right. Ooh, that gives me an idea. Oh, okay. What's that? How about an episode about nocturnal animals? Ooh, I like it. All right, everyone, you know what to do. Be sure to subscribe and tune into our next episode in which Marco and I step into the night with some nocturnal wildlife. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. Thanks for listening. For more information about the San Diego Zoo and San Diego Zoo Safari Park, go to sdzwa.org. Amazing Wildlife is a production of iHeartRadio. Our supervising producer is Nakia Swinton, and our sound designer and editor is Sierra Spreen. For more shows from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. <laughs>